Hi again, and welcome back to We're All Ears with Golden Harvest, a podcast mini-series airing throughout Harvest 2021. I'm Kara Hart, and it's a pleasure to be with all of you today. Last week, we learned what goes into the development and production of every bag of seed from Golden Harvest. This week, we're going to learn how to talk the talk and walk the stalk. In other words, we're going to be looking at how to create the best corn crop plans for 2022. Here to help us are Golden Harvest agronomist Ron Beyer from the West and Brad Cook representing the East. It's great to have you. This is We're All Ears. Hi, Ron and Brad. Thank you all so much for joining us. Could you start off by introducing yourselves, telling us a little bit about your experience in agriculture and which regions you serve as Golden Harvest agronomist? So, Ron, let's start with you. All right. Thank you. I'm Ron Beyer, uh, Golden Harvest Agronomist here in Northwest Iowa. Uh, I service uh, the far Northwestern Iowa area. I work with three sales reps and the entire sales teams that they uh, work with as well. Been with Golden Harvest a little over four years, but uh, been in the ag industry for much longer than that. So we've got uh, very good yields out here in Northwest Iowa and looking forward to even more coming up this next year. Brad, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, good afternoon. I represent the Golden Harvest brand as an agronomist in West Central Illinois, kind of that central corridor of Illinois, otherwise known as God's country, typically. So um, I'm on year 13 with Syngenta. I've done several seed and crop protection roles. Um, It's been a great ride with the company, and it's great to uh, service my home area of, of West Central Illinois. Glad to have you both with us today in this podcast. Uh, As Midwestern corn farmers wrap up the season and begin to plan for 2022, what advice do you have for evaluating 2021 yield results? Ron, let's start with you. Well, I would say that for the most part, our corn and soybean yields here in Northwest Iowa have been much above normal. Um, Our corn yields are, you know, uh, we've had a lot of those approaching the 250 to 280 range, a couple of these even the 300 plus range. Same thing with the soybeans. We've had incredible yields on beans uh, upwards of that 80, 90 bushel range. But for the most part, we have had variability across Northwest Iowa. Uh, For the most part, uh, 2021 started a little bit cooler, but we did have much above normal uh, growing degree units, which really favored the late season maturities for both the corn and the soybeans. Our precipitation this year was much below normal as well. It makes a lot of difference uh, where the guys have gotten the precipitation, when they received that, what type of soils that they had, was it able to go ahead and and hold that moisture later into the season and actually turn that back into grain. So the guys need to actually visit with their Golden Harvest Seed Advisors to see the right products around their area that did perform the best. One of the best ways to do that, I think, is to actually utilize our new Illuminate uh, digital platform It's a product analyzer tool that really takes a look at the growers' soil types, along with the right products that would work best on that acre. So I would encourage them to get in contact with either our agronomists or the seed advisors for uh, probably the best product evaluation. Brad, do you have anything else to add from God's country? Well, I would tell you that that no two years are, are ever alike. And this was another example of that this year. Overall, we we had a good growing season, but lots of variability in the in the weather and the environments and, and 
certain hybrids and management practices really showed up this year. Um, we went through a relatively good planting season in April and then it got wet. And then we actually went, entered into a flash drought and in, in June and guys were baking for rain by the third week of June. We, I mean, when you have corn rolling in central Illinois in June, uh, that's not normal, but then weather changed and we got a lot of rain, almost too much rain. I had areas that had 15 to 20 inches the first couple of weeks of July. And you might think that that that's good. And it did replenish the soil profile, but what that brought on was some nutrient leaching as far as nitrogen. And it brought on a wealth of diseases um, in that type of environment that we're going to discuss here as we, as we go forward. And then those diseases really propagated throughout July. And then in August, we, we finished somewhat hot and dry. So Colonel Phil, both with disease and the weather was not what I would call ideal. And that's why we don't have the top end yields that we're used to in central, West Central Illinois uh, this year from a corn crop standpoint. So we'll get into some of that here as we go forward. But that's this overall synopsis of the season. Now, Brad or, or Ron, are there any tools you recommend to help farmers analyze yield results and uh, make informed decisions for next year? I know Ron had mentioned a little bit on the app, but is there anything else that you'd like to, or any other tools that farmers need to have in their toolbox? Sure, tools that I like to use that's actually incorporated into the Illuminate tool is a product called, what they call product analyzer. And it's a good opportunity just to bring up a specific hybrid. And then you can kind of compare that product to another competitive product or even one of our other Golden Harvest products just to see where its overall performance was throughout the year. So uh, once again, I would encourage the, uh, them to contact the Golden Harvest Seed Advisors or uh, our agronomist staff here as well that we can kind of help you with that. Great point from a technology standpoint and, and, our, and our Illuminate tool can really help growers dial into some of that. And, and it's really just all technology as a whole. Utilize your yield data. Um, you know, most of most growers have precision technology in the planter in the, and in the combine. I love seeing side-by-sides throughout the whole field of different hybrids and then doing the analysis of that across a, a large environment. Um, so I just, I, I encourage producers to, to take hold of that yield data and do some analysis and, as they make decisions going forward. This question is for either of you. And I had an agronomist tell me that at least where it's been dry up here in the North, this was a good year, even with the dry conditions to learn. Um, every year, of course, is a great opportunity to look back and learn if we take those moments. But what were some of the biggest lessons learned, would you think, when it comes to when it comes to the yield or when it comes to just growing a crop this year, especially the corn crop when we have two very different growing seasons? I would say here in Iowa, uh, one of the first things that stood out is the fact that we had the opportunity to go ahead and get our crop back in in the, I would say, in a very timely fashion. But uh, for the most part, we were planting into very dry soils. Um, when we do, when we did our uh, early season evaluations on some of the products, it was very apparent that we had a, a very varied uh, emergence of the corn crop itself, where some of the corn crop would be in the upwards of that V2 to V3 stage, 
And there would be plants within that, that same row that might be two, three, even a week behind. So just understanding this is the environment that we have to deal with all the way throughout the year. And how will that affect the long-term yield potential of our corn crop? So even now when I've got growers or customers that really challenge me as far as the yields that they're getting back out there, I help to remind them that all of this started from the time that that corn crop came up. Was it uniform or did it have a lot of variability? Brad, what lessons were learned in, in your region that maybe we haven't covered yet? One lesson learned yet again this growing season, as well as last growing season, was from a corn planting perspective, when the soil is fit, I really don't care what the soil temperature is, granted, I, it can't be in the 30s, but even if we're not quite at that 50 degree mark, but the soil is fit, get out there and get the corn planted. Don't wait and plant your corn on Mother's Day weekend. That is something that I have learned that it is not a good scenario, both agronomically and personally, right? Um, the mothers do not like that. And so, you know, in, in all seriousness, corn planted in May, where you get two to four inches on it afterwards and lose all the soil oxygen, stands are terrible. Growers are really rewarded for getting out there early, plant good conditions when the soil's fit. Don't worry so much about soil temperature as much as a big rain that's forecasted right after you plant. Thanks, guys. We learned in an earlier podcast episode with Golden Harvest Agronomy Managers David Schlake and Steve Wilkins that corn rootworm pressure was the number one insect challenge for corn farmers across the Midwest. Ron, how should farmers evaluate their 2021 management strategies and what adjustments should they make for 2022? In the uh, territory that I cover, corn rootworm is definitely our number one challenge and has been for quite some time. I have actually seen these numbers continue to rise on a yearly basis, and it's just become more of a challenge uh, to particularly the corn-on-corn -corn growers that have to deal with this condition on a yearly basis. Uh, that's probably my number one goal for these growers is to help them evaluate the potential of a severe infestation on their farms. One of the tactics that we used this past year in our area was to conduct a corn rootworm monitoring project all the way throughout the summer. Uh, we had upwards of four to 500 corn rootworm sticky traps that we put out in the country, and we evaluated them on a weekly basis just to try to determine, first of all, what was the species that was most evident in the corn fields whether it would be the western corn rootworm or the northern corn rootworm, and then also how large were those uh, quantities that we're refining back out here. Uh, from what I would like to see out in this area on a weekly basis in the trap would be roughly 20 to 25 beetles per trap. And then about the second or third week of monitoring these beetles, we were finding well over 100 as far as our numbers, which really opened up the eyes of a lot of the growers out here. So. My main advice is specifically if the guys are going corn on corn, first and foremost, make sure that you're planting a traded hybrid. And by that, I would say a Golden Harvest AgriShore Duracade traded product that's got a corn rootworm uh, protection there. And couple that back up with a, a premium soil applied insecticide. In this case, either a, a force insecticide or another competitive brand, an Aztec insecticide has done a very, very good job as well. 
If the case uh, warrants, I would also recommend beetle bombing or doing a foliar application of, the, of an insecticide as well, just to try to control the beetle counts that we've got back out here. Um, we can definitely tell some of the guys that have skimped by and maybe did not come through with a, an entire planned approach to monitoring the corn rootworm. And the yields of those fields definitely showed as well this past year. Brad, do you have anything to add to that? Ron set up set up a great management tactic. You know, Central Illinois used to be the epicenter of, of corn rootworm. Again, we're monitoring rootworm beetles, set up traps like Ron was discussing. We just don't have the pressure that we did, you know, around, you know, five years ago. Um, that said, some of the northern corn rootworms I, we're, we're capturing, they're moving into my northern area. But I truly believe we've, you know, we talk about a lot of rain in the in the in the spring. I I know we've drowned out some of the the rootworms here over the last few years. That said, a lot of growers are still using heavily traded products, and um, it, it's helping with that too. But so um, we don't have the pressure that that Iowa does today. But I tell growers to to um, still think about that. That used to be our number one pest. So traded products, insecticide. Even, even some seed treatment. Guys are looking at higher rates of insecticide on seed treatments and um, things in their starter fertilizer to, to, to combat that as well. So, The only thing that I would add to that is that uh, to a point, we're starting to see some uh, pockets throughout the area of what I call extended diapause. And that's primarily the northern corn rootworm beetles, the uh, light green adult beetles that uh, will actually devastate a crop, even on a rotated acre. They will lay their eggs and those eggs will wait for two years and come back in that corn crop once again. So we've got a number of growers that were really taken by surprise a couple of years ago when we had the extended diapause. We're just making sure that these guys are aware that that problem could potentially re, uh, uh, re-enlight itself in say two years once again, if they were starting to see the northern corn rootworm pressure in the pockets. So we've got particularly areas uh, that are being infected with the northerns. We just need to make sure that the growers are aware of the potential that we could have once again. What about diseases? How should corn farmers evaluate their 2021 disease management strategies and adjust for next year? Brad, let's start with you on this one. We know that tar spot was a big topic in the eastern corn belt this year. Yeah. To, to me, th- this is probably, again, corn rootworm used to be a huge nemesis in central Illinois. Fast forward to today, if a grower isn't thinking about disease on the top of his mind, he, be- he should be because, um, and we'll get into the different dynamics here. I've seen so much corn disease over the last two to three years. It just blows my mind. And, and that area of central Illinois is, is kind of the corridor between the convergence of some of these different diseases. So we, we literally get them all. And so you ask about tar spot. That's um, a relatively new disease. I, I believe it was um, first found in 2016 and it's kind of made its way through Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, and now into Illinois. And what's unfortunate is that we're seeing it over winter. Um, so it it's, looks like it's going to be an, an annual disease that we're going to have to manage. Um, and so it's just one more pathogen, one more disease that 
compounds the whole disease spectrum. So I look at things like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. That inoculum is always going to be here in Illinois. Different environments, different weather situations create how, how bad they're going to be. The one that's always kind of the, you know, you don't exactly know if it's going to be here or not is southern rust. And that has that does not overwinter, but blows up on on certain storm fronts from the south. And so in 2021, we had a convergence of everything um, because of all those weather systems in July and the cool down that inflamed northern corn leaf blight, which we, we already have that inoculum. It also brought up southern rust earlier than I've ever seen. We, were, we have some, we have some uh, technology that's catching spores um, on the crop protection side, some, some technology devices. And we started collecting southern rust spores the first week of July, which we had a storm front that came up um, from the south that week. So it doesn't surprise me. I visually saw it the second, third week of July uh, and diagnosed it. So much earlier than normal. Usually don't see that to August. Then we started seeing tar spots um, late July into, into August. And so I called it kind of the trifecta. You look at tar spot, southern rust, and northern corn leaf blight. Even if one is not at threshold, you put all three of those diseases together in a field and you can melt a corn crop fast. Meaning when I say melt, I mean lose leaf area extremely fast. And between those, those three specific diseases and the way we finished in August, which essentially the, the rain stopped, the heat came up. 95 throughout the day for two weeks, low 80s in the night. You know, we went through grain fill and corn almost twice as fast than we would, would like. You'd like to see about almost a month of grain fill, 20, 20 to 25 days. And we, we went from the dense stage to black layer in about two weeks, both because of that heat as well as then the diseases. So, um, that is why yields overall are off in, in West Central Illinois. They're not bad, but it's not what we typically would expect. Ron, what was the disease situation like in the West? Well, luckily for our area here, tar spot is not a major issue as of yet, but I know that it is starting to move farther and farther West all the time. Uh, we still have the Northern corn leaf, like the uh, gray leaf spot, those are disease spectrums that we are going to have on an annual basis, like Brad had said. But I think for the most part, uh, the growers in this area have done a very, very good job of adapting their management programs to include the fungicide applications throughout the year. Specifically this year with the price of corn the way it was, uh, I had talked to a number of retailers that told us that they had their best fungicide sales season ever. And I think our corn crop really showed that as well. We did receive some late northern corn leaf blight and, and gray leaf spot to a certain extent, but it was nowhere near the degree that we could have had with additional moisture or the, the lack of fungicide applications that really helped us to conserve those yields that we had. Thanks, Ron. We know that insect damage and disease can also lead to stock integrity issues at harvest 
Ron, did you see any issues with stock integrity in your area this year? We did on a very small basis, but I think for the most part, uh, some of those fields were kind of picked out early and uh, the combine got to them earlier as well. A couple of different management strategies that I try to help the growers to utilize to maximize stock uh, integrity. First of all, like we had talked about before, make certain that we've got a proper corn rootware management program. And I think some of these fields that actually have a lot of trimmed roots from intense corn rootworm pressure, that just leads to more stock issues later into the season, specifically when you've got dry conditions out there with, with lack of moisture. That plant is doing everything it can to fill that ear, and a lot of times it will cannibalize that stock to do it. Uh, another thing that I saw quite a bit this past year would be some situations where the grower really did not monitor the uh, late season fertility, uh, primarily the nitrogen needs of that corn plant. Uh, some growers I know that try to use uh, simply manure as their main source of fertility back outer without supplementing some of the nitrogen. Those corn plants basically just starved as they tried to fill those ears. And once again, those stocks went down quite fast. Uh, we need to also try to monitor some of the potassium needs of the corn plants. Uh, we still have a lot of uh, poultry litter that's uh, put around the countryside. Uh, the, the poultry litter does a great job as far as the nitrogen and the phosphorus. But I think as far as the total potassium needs of that corn plant, I think we actually need to consider supplementing those fields with additional potash just to make sure that we've got enough needed by that corn plant. First of all, to, to keep the drought tolerance uh, at, at, at its highest with the corn plant, but also to maximize the late season standability or the stock quality. So once again, I would continue to do all of those things. And like I'd said before, continue to go ahead and put on those fungicides. That in itself really helps with the overall stock quality late into the year. Now, Brad, did you see uh, stock integrity issues in Illinois and, and some of the areas that you cover too? And, and should farmers be thinking about that for 2022? Oh, you bet. We sure did. Um, we, were, we were one massive storm front and wind event from a lot of down corn in, in my area here over the last month. A lot of growers listen to what, you know, their seed advisor, their sales rep, their agronomist, and a lot of corn got harvested um, on a timely basis. And that, that resulted in probably not the widespread ec epidemic of down corn that could have happened. But to Ron's point, if, if you lose root area, which results in, in less water uptake, if you lose your nitrogen, from lots of water that we had there in July, as I described, and then you lose leaf area from those diseases. All three of those things compound grain fill and essentially, as Ron talked about, a corn plant will cannibalize itself, meaning use what it has stored within the stock to try to finish out that ear. And that's what that's what results in that, in that poor stock integrity. So, um, we definitely had that, but I'm very happy that a lot of growers got out and got their corn out, maybe at the detriment of maybe getting some beans out when they should have been cut, but uh, overall resulted in, in probably not the big, big disaster that it could have been from a down corn scenario. What other topics should corn farmers be thinking about for 2022? Ron, let's start with you. 
Well, I would say uh, in the area that I've got around here, we've got more and more growers that are actually choosing to do minimum tillage or even no-till, specifically as I go a little bit farther west. And that area to the west actually has a lot more corn on corn. So residue management is actually a a big issue for some of those guys. Uh, This year, when our temperatures were very cool right at planting time, Uh, We found, too, that the areas that were actually covered with high amounts of residue became more and more of a challenge as the year went by. So we we need to make sure that we've got a proper residue management program for the guys that are doing a lot of corn on corn or even on a rotated acre. We need to go ahead and and make sure that, um, that we're trying to maximize the productivity of those acres by actually uh, taking a look at residue management. I've ridden in a lot of combines that actually have some really nice um, chopping heads, and they do such a nice job of really making small com- or small pieces out of that corn stalk, allowing that to go ahead and, and mineralize. And hopefully by the time that spring comes back over here, it won't be nearly as much of an issue. We saw too that um, where we had a lot of residue, even in the spring, uh, we had what we called hair pinning or where the uh, planter goes by and, and it actually, it throws some of that residue right back into that seed channel. So you, you don't get the good seed to soil contact that you need. You actually have residue that's back into that same seed channel. And that can actually deter some of the, uh, the top stands uh, that, we, that our corn plants need. Uh, another thing that we see back out here with residue is that it actually cools that soil and does not allow it to warm up nearly as fast as it should. Uh, we keep on telling a lot of the uh, growers and uh, the seed advisors that we work with that about every 10 to 12 degrees difference in, mo- in, in soil temperature actually doubles that root and the seed or, or root and the shoot growth. And I've shown a fact too that if I've got residue in one spot and I've got bare soil in another, early in the spring, I can put a soil probe back in there and I can see upwards of 10 degrees difference in soil temperature where we uh, keep that residue off of the soil and turn it black. So it's very important that we try to minimize the amount of residue that we've got to try to get that corn crop going. So as we talked about before, minimizing the uh, disease potential as well is one of the big things too that really causes us to take a look at the amount of residue that we've got back out here and have a game plan on how we can try to at least maximize the productivity on some of those acres where we, we have a lot of residue. Now, Brad, I know we talked a lot about disease. Tar spot, uh, as we just mentioned, was a really big one in the eastern Corn Belt. What specific examples um, of hybrid recommendations do you have for tar spot resistance for 2022? That's a great subject to talk about because literally the hybrid that a grower chooses going forward where there's areas of high tar spot are going to dictate whether he's going to be in a one or two pass fungicide scenario. Um, and I know nobody wants to think about spending money on, on fungicide. No, number one, once, right? We, we just got the growers kind of mindset into doing it once. And now with these, these three diseases that we've discussed for success and management of this, your growers are going to be looking at potentially two passes of fungicide depending on their genetic resistance to those, to that disease, specifically tar spot. And so 
we were really happy to see this year that within the Golden Harvest um, Syngenta genetic lineup, we really have some good genetic resistance to that to disease. Typically, overall, we always have. Um, that's, that's just some of the background genetics that we have. There's some, some competitive genetics uh, that really melted. Again, I say melted. I mean, just senesced and, and, and got tar spot really bad. So depending on what you're choosing um, is going to dictate what your fungicide strategy is going to have to be. And so within Golden Harvest, um, specifically, you know, and I, I run the 108 to 116 day maturity line. We have a couple unique products, um, Golden Harvest um, G10D21, um, and as well as our new product, uh, Golden Harvest G13P84, uh, which have some background similarities, but both of those products are outstanding on, on tar spot. Um, and so if you pick think products like that, genetics first, doesn't mean you're still not going to have to implement a fungicide application, but it's going to dictate between one or two of those going forward. And, uh, and, and to me, that's a big deal because there were situations where growers requested their one fungicide application and either didn't get it or got it maybe one, two or three weeks later than they really called, you know, called it in or, 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 wanted it from an agronomic stage the industry is there is not enough applicators and airplanes and helicopters to cover all of the corn acres one time much less two times so that's what really concerns me um going forward is 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 just the the logistics of all this so having good genetic tolerance um, and resistance to some of these diseases is going to be a big deal going forward. Thanks, Brad. And Ron, I'm going to circle back to something you said earlier. You talked about fertility and we know how important that is, but I also think about the situation that is the fertilizer uh, needs for 2022. What are your thoughts about, you know, how that's going to impact the corn scenario next year? Well, if I could give one piece of advice to some of the growers back out here, I would say be flexible. Um, understand the needs of that corn plant and then try to look around and see what is Mother Nature actually giving me right now that I can help to enhance my corn crop to get more bushels per acre. And by saying that, I look to see, uh, I, I drove by several anhydrous tanks that were actually going by today and I look at the temperature and it's it was 55 degrees right now. We're on the verge where we could be putting on fall applied anhydrous as long as we've got uh, the safener to go ahead and keep that within the soil. But I look at it as well. What type of a, a winter are we going to have? What type of a spring? Will it be dry or will it be wet? Um, you know, if we if we anticipate 160 to 180 pounds of anhydrous or nitrogen being out there this fall, how much of that will actually be available in the form that my plant needs by May or by June or July of this next year, depending on the rainfall. So I would say be flexible, continue to work with your retailers, continue to work with your Golden Harvest Seed Advisors. Let's monitor that fertility level back out there. If we have sufficient rainfall that tends to push that nitrogen down below the root zone, let's make sure that we at least 
supplement some of the nitrogen needed for that corn plant so we can try to maximize productivity at the end of the year. And probably a lot of soil testing too, right? Just to make sure you know what you got and, and where you stand. Well, that's where it all starts. You know, have, have an idea of what's back out there in the field, regardless of it's your nitrogen, phosphorus, your potash, boron, sulfur, whatever it is. And then make sure that you put a, a solid game plan together, you know, that's going to complement each of those elements. Brad, is there any additional crop protection considerations you'd like to talk about or anything else on the fertilizer front that you'd like to add? Yeah, on the fertility standpoint, I've learned and, and seen throughout the years is you cannot skimp on nitrogen to try to grow the best corn crop you can. Um, now that said, a grower needs to look at his soils, right? So I've got a lot of situations, especially in my the central part of my, my territory where we have three to five, almost 6% organic matter. So that's situations where growers can look at the mineralization of that organic matter as a credit towards their nitrogen component. Um, on the flip side, I have guys, you know, over in my home county, um, they're trying to grow corn on timber soil. It's, it's white, almost white as snow when it dries out. Less than 1% organic matter. If you skimp on nitrogen, you, you're not going to get the yields that you're looking for that are economic. So you really got to look at soils from that standpoint. The other thing I would say is sulfur has become a big topic and it's too long to get into, but we're not getting the sulfur from the environment that we're used to. Um, and sulfur and nitrogen are, have a symbiotic relationship. Again, there's, there's chemistry into that. We won't get into all that, but applying sulfur, plant available sulfur is becoming a, a really big deal in my area. And it's something to think about. Um, it, it makes that nitrogen application more efficient. I would, I would not, I tell growers to going out with nitrogen, it needs to be a 10 to one ratio at minimum with sulfur, if not a, you know, an eight to one, seven to one. Um, it makes your nitrogen more efficient. Those, those, those two elements work together. And um, so that's something to really think about as, as we go into fertility. And I know it's going to be a, a hard pill to swallow as anhydrous has doubled, it's supposedly going up as well as liquid, um, as well as P and K, but you're not gonna get the crop performance without having that adequate fertility. So it's something to really think about. It is a lot to think about, isn't it? Cause you also have to pencil out too. Exactly, there's there's the economics to it. And uh, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you can, you can go the easier route. And there is, this is gonna be a time to look and you brought it up about soil tests, this is the time to utilize what you've banked, right, in your soils. If, if you have, you know, soil test levels that are, are well above critical level, um, it's time to bank some of that. But just understand, and there's research that showed it, um, I work with the University of Illinois and a lot of their data, they use our products, our, our hybrids, and even with soil tests that are well above critical levels of of P and K, they're showing responses to soil applied fertilizer to really get those big yields. So it's going to be real easy to not want to throw that stuff out there with, with the prices we're at. I think there's situations where we can back down, but eliminating that I think is not going to be wise from a yield perspective. 
To conclude this episode, are there any final agronomic watchouts or advice that you want farmers to be aware of as they make plans for 2022? Ron, let's start with you. Well, we talked about a number of different things, both fertility, uh, insects, diseases. Um, I would say if, if anything, don't be bashful to ask for advice. Um, there, there's so many things that are changing in the agricultural industry right now. So many new herbicides, uh, insecticides coming back out that if you're not on top of it on a daily basis, sometimes it's confusion. Uh, so just don't be afraid to go ahead and ask about a new product or a new way of thinking or new equipment. Uh, as technology changes, so does the way that we need to adapt out there as farmers. So, um, Get in touch with your Golden Harvest agronomist, your Golden Harvest seed advisor, and at least be in contact with some new ideas and also some of the new products that we've got back out. As I had said before, be flexible and be adaptable to change. Brad, what are your final thoughts? Well, one thing uh, from a crop protection standpoint, I already had the discussion with some with producers and seed advisors that, you know, hey, maybe we'll just go beans on beans. You know, as we discussed, it's a way to maybe reduce some fertility needs, um, not put all that nitrogen out there, but make sure you can get the herbicides, right, um, for that soybean crop. There is a shortage of glyphosate and glufosinate. If you're going to make a crop rotation decision based upon fertility, for example, inputs, just make sure that you're going to be able to manage that crop in season with, with crop protection, whether it's corn or soybeans. Um, a growers, we're going to have to really be vigilant next year on using residuals to keep those weeds from not coming up um, with the shortage of some of these AIs that it is predicted um, to be, to, be uh, to come to fruition in 2022. Thank you, Ron and Brad, for your time today and helping us begin our 2022 corn crop plans. This is Golden Harvest. We're all ears. There will be new episodes for the next three weeks. Today's episode was all about corn, but next week we're shifting the spotlight to another row crop as we dive into the soybean market and considerations for 2022 variety selection. Don't miss it by subscribing to We're All Ears on your preferred podcast streaming platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And remember, just like you're listening, we're listening too. So join the conversation and interact with us at Golden Harvest on Facebook and Twitter or at Golden Harvest Seeds on Instagram. We'd love to hear what you think. Thanks for taking time to be with us on this episode of We're All Ears. Next episode, coming soon. Important, always read and follow label and bag tag instructions. Force, Force Evo, Force CS, Force 3G, and Force 6.5G are restricted-use pesticides.